Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's bi-weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the PW offices in New York City, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am also co-editor of PW Comics World, as well as the Graphic Novel Reviews Editor for Publishers Weekly and the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm their podcast producer. This week on More to Come, uh, Persepolis Band in Chicago. Uh, Brian K. Vaughn is back with a very interesting uh, new venture. Uh, Turmoil at DC Comics or their writers. Jay Manga shuts down Comixology, South by Southwest, and San Diego, and Frederick Wortham. So, let's get right to it. Wow, boy, some weeks there's nothing, well, I say nothing, <laughs> yes. but some weeks we it's have a It's rather thin on the ground. Yes, yeah. 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 This time, this I don't can, even know where this, to begin. This will be our jumbo podcast. Yeah, but, uh, this Persepolis. is a very special podcast, because this is the first time we've not had briefs, because every story yeah. is a big story. Yes. Yeah. We, we want to talk about pretty much everyone. Persepolis, uh, restricted slash band in Chicago. What is going on here? Well, I, I'm not sure re- band is the right word. Band I mean, isn't removed. the right word. It but was removed from classes. It yes. was removed, like there was a lot of confusion over this. And uh, what I, I think happened, <laughs> um, or what seems to have happened based on my reading, was yeah. that at the Chicago Public Schools, uh, it was part of the curriculum at seventh grade classes at a high school, and the CEO of uh, Chicago Public Schools uh, came along and said, this is not suitable to be taught to seventh, uh, to seventh graders. Seventh through tenth grade. No, yes, it was only was it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's restricted from seventh through tenth yes. grade. So that's yeah. right. No, because mm-hmm. it wasn't removed from. It was no. only removed from seventh grade. And, um, well, go on. Go well, on. I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, that's what I as I read it. It had been uh, removed from the curriculum of seventh seventh grade through tenth grade. It remains on the curriculum of eleventh and twelfth okay. and advanced placement classes. It has not been removed from any uh, public school libraries. Although the original memo that went around uh, told them yes. to, and then their, yes. the library the got upset and said, no, you're yes. not allowed to do this, exactly. and so right. now it's still in the library. So some teachers yeah. were actually removing the books from the library, yes, they were, and then right. the the... the uh, the uh, the chief of the schools had to go back and issue uh, another saying a, a clarification. Still, this is a bizarre bureau. I mean, obviously, this is what schools schools do. But in some ways, this is an extreme picture of bureaucratization of reading. Yeah. Even though this book is really an acclaimed, uh, really an acclaimed work well, of the memoir. Well, the reason that was given for it to be removed was that there were scenes of graphic torture. And I mean, like, there is a spread that shows some torture, but But I mean, the way that Marjan Satrapi, the acclaimed, award-winning, Oscar-nominated creator of the book, draws it, it's hardly gruesome, it's more journalistic, I mean, it shows a man, uh, it shows a man being beaten and then being peed on, all right? And you know what? That is rough, but it is not shown in any kind of exploitive or... Graphic, um, manner. graphic manner. I mean, and her style ratchets the the traumatism yes. of the thing way down. On top of everything else, I mean, what what they're saying, the the public school system is saying that they have to create, you know, uh, some sort of orientation, some sort of formal curriculum about this book before kids can read it. Now, I have no problem with that, but the notion that you have to remove the book from the curriculum. To put it in context, when the context of everything ha- that happens in the book is right within right. the book, it's I not can like she doesn't explain at, it. At, or, or that this book isn't available to students anyway. Right. Remember now, 
uh, all of the reporting that we've had from our Midwestern uh, correspondent, Claire Kirch, is that the book has, this controversy has spiked sales yes, all over the Chicago. Like There's student cake. protests all over the place. Obviously, every seventh grader in Chicago has a copy of the book by now right. or can get one or download illegally one from the web. It just is a bizarre notion of making, in my making school leaders look like idiots. Yeah. Uh, well, while, while really was quite inappropriate on their part. It, it's totally. I don't have, I have no problem with them saying we need to get in front of this and issue some sort of formal curriculum for change. But to actually remove the book from the curriculum and restrict it in some ways only serves to send students desperately trying yeah. to find the book. Well, and, and furthermore, um, information from various teachers and, and administrators below her have said that they, the English departments were not consulted about this, were not told ahead of time, were not like asked, like, how do you want to handle this? It just sort of was issued from on high that... It's crazy. And I mean, it, it really just, I mean, from an outsider's perspective, just looking at this, I mean, the book is considered a modern classic. I mean, yes. there's no doubt about that. And as people pointed out, the only place it's ever been banned is in <laughs> Iran, okay, where it takes place. And also, guess what? You know, they showed the movie, and I believe it was Algeria, or it's been shown at places in the Middle sure. East, and has ignited a firestorm of controversy over the the... Uh, over, you know, what she's saying about Islam, about her life, about feminism, I mean, everything. I mean, so, I mean, this is a book that espouses free thought. Yes. And, and, and the uh, anti-censorship. And, you know, students have, there was a sin, uh, there have been protests. And, and I mean, they uh, were large. Yeah. The protest outside had over 400 students yes. in it, and the yeah. sit-in had 100, but they, they apparently the teachers got wind of it and locked the library, yeah. so no one could sit in. Once again, no sitting to in censor the reading of teens and pre preteen shows that the teens and the preteens are like well ahead of the adults. Yeah, and I mean, I, I can understand people wanting to, like as Calvin says, maybe give some context for the book, but I need to say that these scenes of torture in this book are not suitable for kids. I mean, it really, as I said, it's no worse than Kitchen Nightmares. Yeah, I mean, honestly, true. it is no worse than any movie that you have seen yeah. that is PG-13 that kids are flocking to. You know. Well, okay, maybe it's a little worse than PG-13, but still, it's not yeah. It's not inappropriate you know, for the age, they, and it's one page and yeah, it's done. Absolutely. Exactly. The, the, you just the, turn the, the page. The Chicago Public Schools are missing an opportunity, really, to, to embrace this book and to embrace everything that the book means. And instead, they've come up with a super bureaucratic response uh, that really shows themselves to be just... Out of touch. Well, an out of touch bureaucracy. Yeah, I've never surprise, seen that happen surprise, before, surprise. But, um, but it's anyway. nice to see people pushing back. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, in I the mean, best it, way, too. It they, seems you know. sort of unlikely that uh, some people I've talked to who are inside the school system seem to think it's unlikely that this uh, this uh, removal will be uh, rescinded. But, you know, we'll see. I yeah. mean, it certainly is like, you know, banning of other well loved books yeah. like Huckleberry Finn or even. <laughs> You know, Harry Potter. Harry yeah. Potter's been removed yeah. from libraries. So yeah. I, it's just all ludicrous. But you can actually go to publishersweekly.com. Our Midwestern correspondent, PW's Midwestern correspondent, Claire Kirch, is actually doing, has yeah, been doing been up, daily updates, really, about the story. So, the story. So check so. us out online. Yes. So, um, well, on oh, to happier matters. Yes, uh, yeah. Uh, a brand new, it's been rumored for quite a while that Brian K. Vaughn, the esteemed writer of Saga and Why the Last Man, uh, was teaming up with much-loved uh, fan-favorite artist Marcos Martin, with whom he worked on a Doctor Strange miniseries, for a new comic. And uh, some teaser images went out earlier this week, including on my own site, uh, the, the, the Beat, 
and people were in the comments where I wish I could read this right now. It looks so great. And to their amazement, overnight you could read it right now. They, yes. uh, Vaughn and Martin did something very interesting. They released it on their own, uh, on their own website called Panel Syndicate. Uh, it is in a completely DRM-free PDF or CBZ format. You can awesome. download it. Uh, it is in English, yes, Spanish, and Catalan. You can download it. Third choice is rather interesting. Right. Well, I, I believe Margot is from well, uh, Barcelona, it, from Catalonia, where yeah, that yeah. is the official language. Um, uh, it is uh, the most interesting of all is you download. It's the first issue. It's 32 mm -hmm. pages, and you can pay what you wish. Uh, it, it's awesome. I yeah. paid six dollars. Yeah. Wow. You were good. I, I paid, paid six dollars and bought it. I, yeah. you know. I paid like like three dollars. Okay. I thought that yeah. was the price of a regular comic. Yeah. And they suggested yeah. ninety nine cents. Yeah. Um, and you can pay. I love. I love them. Yeah. <laughs> or you can get it for free. Yeah. Or, or you can pay nothing else. Which is kind of yeah. stinky. Uh, because what they're trying to do is raise money to finish the ten issue story, which is called the Private Eye. And uh, I, part of what really interested me about this is that Brian. Uh, is not even on Twitter or on Facebook. He absolutely eschews any kind of uh, internet contact with readers. And uh, it was very interesting because as soon as it launched, uh, the PayPal went down and people were complaining <laughs> about it. And I was like, wow, there's no way to reach him. So, uh, so they didn't have an email on the They website? did. But, well, you know, what actually happened is I emailed Brian because we do go back quite a bit ways. So I said, Brian, your PayPal isn't working. He says, tell me what is working now. So I was like, all right, I'll do it this once. And I tweeted and I said, Brian says it's working now. And then people are like, no, it's not. And I said, you know what? He can do his own duty. Yes. Yeah. Right. I'm not going to be Brian yes, Cameron's messenger, yeah, as tempting as it would be. Your liaison, yeah, to, the liaison. for digital publishing. Yeah. Yeah. But then when you read, I'm not going to give away spoilers, but when you read the story, the lack of Twitter and the fact that they say this is only digital is... It, it, well, it, it keys into the plot of the story. Yeah. It's really interesting dystopian uh, uh, sci-fi future story, but I, I, I love the story. Uh, th not only is this the golden age of comics publishing, we are actually in the golden age of self-publishing. Mm -hmm. uh, I think this is a spectacularly exciting new venture. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, uh, Brian K. Vaughn is the perfect person to do it. I mean, and as well as the artist, yeah. Yeah. Uh, because they're kind, they're brand names. They've yeah. got a, a huge following. Uh, I think this is going to be a wild success, and we're going to see others well, following in me, their way. But maybe you. I'm wrong. Well, no, but I, I'm curious what you guys think because it is interesting that everybody uh, needs to have this. Um, uh, you know, in social media context for things now. Mm -hmm. And this is a book being done without social media. Well, I think... Well, I'm not sure. I mean, there's, there's social media and there's social media. I mean, like, Twitter and Facebook are not the whole world. Yeah. Because you can be very... Networking very online and for various privacy reasons be like, screw you, Twitter and Facebook. Um... I mean, I have to admit that I'm mildly allergic to them myself, and I have a large web presence and I'm around a lot, albeit not under my legal name, but, you know, because I'm one of those paranoid people. I'm like, segment my life very carefully online. Um, now, that's, oddly enough, what Private Eye is about. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Uh, yes. You know, I, I, you know, I actually, I mean, obviously, I'm a big fan of social media. I'm, I'm pretty much addicted to all the forms of it I engage in. Um, I like to think that uh, you know what I reveal online is basically what you want to either I want to be revealed. Uh, I'm a public person anyway. There's an enormous amount of stuff about me online, whether I say anything about myself or not. So I don't really see yeah. it as a big problem. 
Uh, at the same time, I don't think really that Brian, uh, and I don't know whether um, whether Martin has a social media presence or not. Uh, I don't really think that he isn't completely or doesn't have some way to check on what's going on. Uh, but I also think because of his professional stature, he can get away with it. Right, exactly. You know, and he can, his people can monitor right. you know, uh, the yeah. audience for what he's doing. Right. I think that if you do do what he's doing with some social media, it can only help. Right. But, I mean, I, I can understand why he wouldn't have personal social media. Like, it might not hurt to have social media for the project. I would but, say, yeah, I but would But you can definitely, yeah. it's not, I mean, it may seem to people who are very into Twitter and Facebook that if you're not on those, you're not on the Internet. But there's there's a lot the rest of the Internet. Well, I think, what's, I think what's really interesting about this is that Vaughn and Martin are... Uh, brand names that are big enough and popular enough and have a track record yes. that yes. is so strong yes. that everyone will flock that, to them anyway. That they don't need to hype it. Yeah. They yes. do not yeah. need to be out there tweeting. It will go viral all on right. its own. Exactly. You know, in some ways, social media is working for them because I was tweeting about it yes. all day exactly. yesterday. Exactly. So, you know, they're getting their social media whether yeah. they do anything about right. it or not. Right, yeah. right. So, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. And, and all, Even if the social the media is saying, yeah. your site is down. Yes, yes, that's true. All right. Turmoil. At DC mm. Comics. Oh boy. Turmoil. <laughs> well, you know, there's been a lot of uh, of um, <sighs> a lot of ongoing turmoil. Writers walking off, artists leaving, um, or some publicly writers being uh, sometimes let go. Mm. Sometimes before their issues even came out. Uh, Zim, Jim Zubkovich is a good example. Mm. And you know, I, I'm spacing on the book he was writing, but basically he was announced as the writer for a book. and was doing interviews, and the interviews were coming out, and mm. an expectation of his first issue, and then suddenly the announcement came off that he was never even going to write the book. And uh, so this week... A wacky um, world of comics. Yes, this week it was announced that Andy Diggle was leaving Action Comics, and he had been specially selected to finish, or to continue Action after Grant Morrison finished his historic run, um, and it turned out that he would only write one issue, uh, and then left, and then the artist Tony for Daniel. professional for reasons, professional reasons. Yeah. which is certainly a professional way yeah. of saying none of your business. <laughs> yes, well, but but he, well. he doesn't even need to say anything because because we all sort of know what's going on. Really, uh, and then uh, then uh, even that I, same I don't day know what's going on. that uh, that um, Joshua Helfialkov was supposed to be writing two books. He was supposed to be writing. Uh, both Green Lantern Corps and Red Lanterns, and then it was announced he would not be writing those books, and instead Van Jensen would be taking over Green Lantern Corps, and Charles Soule uh, would be taking over Red Lantern. He's also writing Swamp Thing, which is another book. I think that's the one that Jim's up yet. Anyway, oh, but but uh, interestingly enough, there has been a leak on the subject of Fialkov as to what may have made him leave. Right, and which, it and is that 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 storyline that he was going to write was that they were going to kill John Stewart, the and very very popular, oh, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of the Green Lantern Corps, and perhaps the best known uh, of the Green Lantern Corps due to the cartoon, and he did not want to participate in this storyline. And, I mean, for context, uh, John Stewart's black. Yes. And, it's, and all the other Green Lanterns are living happily, and yeah... Well, uh, for the record, we're all in favor of John Stewart being yes. black and stable. Yeah, we all want <laughs> John Stewart. To we live. think that should continue. So, you know, uh, Joshua, right on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, when I say we know what's going on, I mean it's just no secret that there have been all these last-minute changes at DC. And uh, George Perez left. Uh, he was writing Superman. Mm. Uh, 
uh, Rob Liefeld left a bunch of books, and he really smoked the bridge after he left. With you know, <laughs> yeah. like carrying his, his he's uh, struck it with lightning, yeah. man. Yeah. Like you know, poured gasoline that, on it, and danced yeah, around the flames. I said, you know, even called his uh, former <laughs> editor, uh, you know, questioning his manhood. Uh, so, but uh, it's it's. It's not been denied. I mean, it is uh, pretty well known, and, and you know, I uh, hear some things myself. And uh, it, there's What's a lot going of on. It that, seems like it's it's much uh, more turbulent than usual. Well, I think it's just there's a lot of pressure, and uh, it seems like the editorial forces. As somebody put a comment on the beat that I thought was uh, genius, they said that the '90s were the age of the superstar artist, the aughts were the age of the superstar writer, and this is the decade of the superstar editor. Because all of these mm. stories are being editorially driven, mm. and they're being asked to rewrite them. I mean, it's just no secret that there are rewrites that are coming through on all these stories overnight, and a lot of people just don't, don't like don't doing like it. People. And those who do, do fine. You know, yeah. some people just yeah, love well, sitting there and rewriting things. Well, even so, I mean, I can see how it might also screw deadlines, that if you've written it and you've gotten it in on time... And then suddenly you have to rewrite it. Suddenly it's much harder to keep. Well, deadlines. there was another uh, hilarious thing that happened this week, where there was an issue of Supergirl that had the uh, uh, expected team on the cover uh, credits. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, Matt Asbar and uh, Matt Johnson, and then inside it was a guy named Frank Hanna that no one had ever heard of, and an artist named you know Dobby or something. I, I forget. But yeah, the insides were drawn by complete and written and drawn by a completely different team than the cover said. <laughs> well, wow. So anyway, Turbola hey. DC. And I, yeah. I mean, I think. Uh, <laughs> Sounds that way. Yeah, I don't know how many people. Well, well, do you think well we of, just report the news. Do you think some of the pressure will slip off it. now that they seem to have given up on having 52 books in the new 52? Well, because as of June, there will only be 50. Well, right. I mean, you know, slow attrition. June, they're also. <laughs> it's an interesting month because they're also launching two new books the Green Syndicate book and that one by. Uh, that's by Franco Balthazar, that new book by Gail Simone. Which mm-hmm. are not part of the DC, you know, establishment mm-hmm. though. So they yeah. are trying to do new things. But um, what I'm hearing is interesting in that they held a retreat, uh, creative summit, really, for my, all my. the DC people back in February, and uh, you know, a whole new era of peace and harmony uh, was yes. promised, and it doesn't seem to have lasted long. So <laughs> yes, there you go. it will. There you go. It lasted all of a month. Uh. Yeah. If that. All right. Well, we'll leave the turmoil at uh, DC Comics, uh, I think but we'll more move to on come. to the turmoil. Yeah, there's certainly more to come to that. But but we'll move to another era of turmoil in the online manga world and um, the uh, shutting down, the abrupt shutdown of JManga.com, the um, the digital, the online digital retail site. Uh, I guess retail is what you can call it, since uh, or maybe we shouldn't call it retail. Since what you buy, you apparently do not get to keep. Well, not after the service shut yeah. down. JMarket shut down. And basically, uh, fans could uh, subscribe to... Well, I don't want to say subscribe because you became a member, but theoretically, you were owning the comics, but you really weren't. Yeah, you were not just a member, you were an owner, but then... Yeah. But you're not. They've shut down. Uh, this this site was launched, uh, what, barely two years ago. Yeah, less With than two much years ago. fanfare at San Diego Comic-Con. With some of the biggest publishers in Japan on hand to talk Africa, about it. I think. Uh, yeah, I, I was there at the at the at the ceremony yeah, and like um, really ago. brought over the biggest people from uh, Japan uh, to talk about it. Uh, um, Kadansha um, and others. Um, uh, this is also supposed to be an effort to sort of blunt the uh, the, the sales declines. Uh, 
and problems from scanlations and digital piracy. Also, you know, to, to give the North American fans really access to digital manga right away. But, you know, there were problems from the beginning, and this is obviously the worst problem imaginable, that you lose access to all of the comics that you thought you had purchased. Well, I think, actually, it's very interesting that you had a bunch of people saying, you guys who didn't, who say you want, um, I ever saw comments on various posts on the subject, mm -hmm. you guys who say you want digital manga, but you didn't do J-manga, this is all your fault, and then a lot of people said, well, yeah, I'm in that position, but it's not my fault because I wanted to buy manga. I wanted to be able to download manga. And they wouldn't let me. You know, I mean, it was going to be in the cloud, and I thought they were going to close, like they did. And I, you know, didn't want to spend that much to basically rent manga. Uh, yeah, and that's what it is. I mean, it, obviously, going forward, if this model is ever to, to float, and who knows if it will, I mean, Jay Manga had problems from the very beginning. Nobody liked the selection of manga that I, that I talked to at the beginning, but they were not impressed with the selection of manga presented. They thought the prices were too high. They thought the credit systems was was awkward and a pain in the butt. Um, uh, it didn't work on um, tablets. Yes, yeah. yeah. They, Which, they, I mean, they had a clunky now, app. They had really... a clunky app that barely worked. Um, yeah. I mean, there were so many problems with it. Surprise, surprise, the thing's and, gone and out of business. And they weren't particularly good at marketing it. Yeah. I feel like they maybe, I mean, probably it's a cultural issue mm. that maybe it would have been marketed better if they had had more people on the ground in America. I don't know. But um, it really, it had some marketing problems. Yes, it um, did. And I mean, in I that think, it didn't do any marketing. What's, what's interesting to me is that, I mean, this was an initiative of, as you say, the top manga yeah. publishers. Yeah, I mean, it, this it was felt not, very bargain basement, This though. was not a, you know, a third-party company that launched this. This was their attempt to deal yes. with the piracy issue in the English language. And, uh, and it felt very happy. It was lame. Yeah. I mean, okay. It wouldn't have been lame if it had been done by a small startup company, but for yeah. that level of expectation put on it, and for that level of, of company working on it, mm -hmm. it felt like it was made by three but, guys yeah. in basement. I bought some manga through it because I used it from time to time and read this yeah. and that. I yeah. mean, I, I read perfectly oddball things like well, Dot sure, Capital. That's, that's Capital. I read that's Cap what it's for. Manga I mean, yeah. theory, that's Karl what it's for. Capital. Yeah, that's some stuff that you were, you know. <laughs> but, uh, I will you know. say the one thing that was in its favor, and indeed that sold really well and was consistently at the top of their bestsellers list was that they were selling and translating Yuri manga, which is to say uh, manga with lesbian plots. Yeah. And this was selling by the standards of J manga really well. Yeah. Um, and because you just couldn't get it anywhere else hardly. But here's the interesting thing. Even that, we, we got some numbers basically leaked in an irate blog post by <laughs> Erica Friedman of uh, Yurikan I think she thought these numbers were generally out there, but I haven't seen them anywhere else, so I'm calling it a leak. Hey, well, listen, it, doesn't, it. Yeah. it doesn't work anymore, so... Yeah, so, really, yeah. yeah. That the numbers were really low, and I actually have the quote right here. Extra credit question. How many sales do you think a J-Manga bestseller made? The answer to the extra credit question is about 300 That means a bestseller was taking in roughly $1,500. That about covered the cost of producing it. There's not enough profit and the seed money's gone. That's it for the company. Yeah. That's so if their the bestsellers were selling like 300 yeah. copies, I can see why they closed. But remember now, this is a business that was set up by 39 of the biggest manga publishers. And they can't sell more but than wait, 300 can I, copies. Can I uh, ask a question here? Because I know you guys really covered the story. On, uh, but it did not have the top flight. No. It yes. had no, no it had prime, prime content. Prime content. No, so, I mean, I, I can see that they were like, oh, we're going to content. have, to have uh, exclusives. 
But the fact of the matter was... I mean, you couldn't get Naruto on this. No, no. you couldn't get Naruto. Yeah. You couldn't get anything you'd couldn't ever heard of. anything you had ever heard of. <laughs> no, that ever. doesn't mean well, there weren't some... I'm not... so shocked yeah. this business did yeah. not... You couldn't get... With the, and, yeah. and that digital, I mean, it's clear that piracy is sapping the lifeblood right out of them because they're not doing day and date. I mean, yes. they're just starting to do it. They're okay? just starting to do it. But they yeah. are so... Yeah conflicted about doing it and it, you know you can't it's, you it's, just can't ignore piracy it's not even so much that they're it's not so much they're ignoring the piracy is that they aren't they're like really bad at having any web presence at all for english speakers yeah i mean but it's, it's always not, I mean, it's for japanese readers as well i mean it's not even just it's, english it's, i mean in japan the really super awesome yeah. i'm pretty generous i'm not like a web snob when it comes to like layouts and stuff but Whenever I go to any official site for any Japanese-run manga company, it is almost impenetrable yeah. and boring and looks like yeah. it's from 1996. Yeah, I don't know what their problem is, City. but yeah. when, I mean, when you see the illicit sites and the fan sites are like 20% better designed... And they're giving yeah. away things pirated Viz, for free. You know, Viz, like, Viz is doing a, 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 a decent job at yes. it. I mean, they're, but they're, they're, Yen Press has some online presence. Yeah. Some uh, uh, they have some online access to to, uh, to contemporary manga. Very little. They're trying to get more. This is the best of them all. Yeah, really I'm not right talking now. about about um, those two because yes, they're because they're the, really the only ones that are really doing. Yeah, a I great mean, I job. feel like the American no. one run companies, even the published manga seem to have a better grasp on a yeah. proper web presence that people like, but for whatever reason, the Japanese, who are tremendously technologically sound, are just yeah. But you know, behind. listen. Well, there's a rights issue involved, um, uh, and as well as the fact that, must remember, America's still a tiny, tiny yeah. market in well, comparison but, but, I mean, to what the Japanese publishers. Apparently, they're having trouble with this kind of but thing. But you also, you've you got to remember, Japan... Did you know, I, there was a big article in the New York Times, it's been remarked many times, in Japan, people love faxing, okay? I yes, mean, they so, have all uh, these weird things, yes, I mean, like, not to put down my Japanese friends, yes, but they have a lot of odd technology. customs, and like when you say they're technologically ahead of things, they're very technologically ahead on mobile, but they don't, they're just starting to get to home computers they, yeah. they, there, and they love faxing things, like they try, no, like you're absolutely faxing right. their, their orders to restaurants, and when they try to do away with it, the business plummeted. And they're like, oh, I have to have the hand. Yeah. Yeah, I love the handwritten facts. I can't. Yeah. So it isn't always as natural as you think. Like, oh, my God, well, it's Japan. They must be as far ahead yes. as, you know. Like, there's a lot of reticence over there. Science, their science fiction is so cool. That, yeah. well, why, isn't it, why isn't it affected in their everyday business life? Yes, yes. Well, everybody uh, might own a robot, but you know, yes, not a computer. Yeah. So, They'll have a robot who will fax your lunch orders. Yeah. It's, that's the, <laughs> the contradiction in Japanese society. Um, but that that contribution is really having a, a really a negative impact on the North American manga uh, market, uh, as even as you know various uh, you know if, if you talk to Yen Press if you talk to Viz, they what they're telling me of course is that they're doing better than ever. They're selling a lot of digital comics because now because they know what they're doing, and right. they're also um they're also they they see that their print sales are not are are, are not declining right. So, uh, but the but the market has declined in this country dramatically. From this was a category that was leading the way for graphic novels, you know, in the in the mid aughts up until yep. about two thousand seven, when it essentially fell off of a cliff. Yep. yep. Yeah. Well, yep. I mean, it seems like ah, the, the anime days. series really. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it was a boom, and I, I mean, and it, now it's, it's not. It's it, bust. it It wasn't. A, it wasn't uh, just a temporary trend. I mean, mine is no. here to stay. Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, at the same time, but I just. I think it's important, like, when you talk to people who are dealing with it in 
Japan as well, and other markets throughout Asia. I mean, it's also stagnating there. I mean, there hasn't yeah, been a new, real there hasn't been a new One Piece or new Naruto. Yeah. There hasn't been the new blockbusters proper, are just not yes, there. They're not creating new blockbusters, yeah. and that is a huge problem for them back in the home countries. Here, as as um, Calvin, you and I were told mm. the other day when someone from Viz stopped by here, the classics are still selling. Yes, well. yeah, oh, yes. The Naruto's, the yes. One Pieces, yes. and the yes. oh, my, you yes. know the great clamp works at uh, Dark Horse. I mean, mm. you know, Dark Horse also publishes manga. We shouldn't mm. forget that. They're still yes, continuing. Yes. But, um, yeah, the classes are going to sell. So, I mean, I think it's all part of uh, a huge web of reasoning. Some of them cultural, some yeah. of them technological. And, yeah. uh, I mean, J-Manga is a pretty sad page in this story. Uh, sad, uh, I mean, uh, I... Attempt to, to deal with it. And what, what we're seeing oh. is there's a generation that have grown up basically getting, in the North American market, getting manga for free at scanlation sites. Yeah. That's how they read their manga. Well, and it's not even the, the people who actually scan it. It's the places like like MangaFox and yeah, so the on, aggregators that, the yeah. aggregators that would take it in and then would even sell ads on it. Yeah, then I mean, they do. They yeah. make millions of I mean, years. Just yeah, these are not ads. fan sites. Yeah. These are not the no, fan, those fan sites. sites. Yeah, there's no. an entire have... pirate infrastructure that's better than any of the publishers. <laughs> and you should at least have as good site design as the pirates. Like it's yes. If you look at Comixology and you even look at Viz. There is money in digital. Yeah. I mean, there are people who are yeah. now saying about J-Manga that it's not J-Manga's fault, that the market was just not the right place, that, you know, you couldn't have predicted that this would do badly, that there's just no money in digital, and it's just blatantly yeah, not true. Crazy. There I is mean, money crazy. in digital. There's, there's money. just yeah. not that's money just, in, in the J-Manga model. You've got to do a good model. job yeah. at it, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it's um, a competitive world. This is like having a little health food store that sells nothing but kale chips and saying <laughs> you need to eat these kale chips. This is what they have. It's, and next door, there's a big fast food place that's yeah, selling burgers, shakes, burgers. And, and everything <laughs> yummy that people like to eat. And you can get it for free. Yeah. So, yeah, you know right. what? So, guess what? That's the world they live in. The and, line forms next yeah. door. Well, I mean, well, um, yeah. I will say that it has had side effects because there is content on there that the Japanese publishers are not putting on places like Comixology and so on, where we probably sell, at least somewhat. Mm -hmm. um, that the, as we were talking about Yuri, that this has taken down uh, the long-beloved site-mini-publisher YuriCon with it. Um, that Erica Friedman, who had been working hand-in-glove with J-Mang and had a lot of hopes for it as a place to get Yuri into the American scene, just said that YuriCon can't survive anymore. And is closing its doors. Yeah. Um, so you after know, 13 years. I mean, it, it's a lot because of people. Because she said the business model was just not working. Yeah. And that's which it. Which is understandable. Yeah. But I mean, it's the business model that definitely needs to be adjusted in some way. So, and speaking of business models that need to be adjusted. Or a business model that's working so good. Yeah. That, <laughs> that it worked too that well. the infrastructure can't even hold up under it. Yeah. Uh, Comicsology. Yeah. Well, they had, Calvin, you were down at South well, I was there. Southwest. Hey, yeah. You I was actually there, there on the, the spot day. as you the servers melted crashed. down. So, um, well, I actually did get over. I actually hopped on a shuttle that ran over. Uh, I will say this, that um, my dear wife and friend of the podcast, Jody Culkin, was actually giving a, her uh, a really excellent 15-minute presentation at South by Southwest about uh, a history of instructional comics from, like, Eisner to uh, How Tunes and Make Magazine. I hopped on a shuttle bus, ran, got over there just as the Marvel uh, announcements were being made. And obviously, the announcement of giving away 700 free number one digital comics 
was well, met with a well, huge one. Maybe well. we should do a quick rewind and explain to our listeners yeah. what we're talking well, we about. Uh, Marvel was offering 700 free that issues of the Marvel comics. Number one. Marvel was number Marvel one. Comics. Number one. Digital and comics. it was mm-hmm. being offered through the Marvel uh, app and through Comixology. And both of these sites had a meltdown. Yeah. Because yeah. everyone For wanted them reason, so much. People raced to get 700 free Marvel comics. And uh, I raced, and I could not get my... I forgot my comicsology password, so I couldn't get it. Because if you got in the queue, it's like getting a hotel at San Diego. If you got in and got in the queue and downloaded your comics, and when eventually the site came back, you could download them. But uh, basically, it shut down comicsology for the better part of two days. And what's really significant about this, and this does tie into the J-Manga, I mean, not only was Marvel very popular, obviously, in comicsology... But guess what? While this was going on, no other publisher could sell yes, their there, comics. There's the rub. And <laughs> because comics that are viewed through the Comicsology app are viewed through the Comicsology app, you couldn't even look at your comics that you had bought there. Yeah, even if you had downloaded them to your device, uh, you would have trouble logging in because it needs to know you're you yes. when you're reading it. Yes. And so you had real trouble reading yes. it. Now, but you do not have this problem when you buy the comics through the iBookstore. Okay, that is a download to mm. your device, to your tablet, or to your computer. Well, Comixology does download to yes, your device as they, well. and they do. So if you mm. have that, I mean, it's important to say there's the two different ways, mm-hmm. there's with the different models, but of course people don't like to go through the iBook store because you make more money right. uh, going through your own thing, but right. guess what, if you can't get anything, yeah. why would you do it? Well, no, what I meant is, is Comixology does indeed download to your computer, it's yeah. just that it needs this verification thing. Mm-hmm. But now they know this problem exists. Maybe they'll rebuild the app for its next iteration. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, I, I assume the promotion is still on hold. But, I mean, I was standing there. Bringing it back, though, I was comics. standing there in the exhibition hall, and all I was thinking was, I want to go somewhere so I can download some of these comics, too. But I wasn't able to do that. I feel like 700 was just too many at once. Well, to talk about too good a deal, um, yeah. there you go. Uh, but it was interesting. Uh, now, there were other announcements there. Uh, Comixology had a huge presence there as well. I mean, it wasn't just about Marvel. Uh, Comixology had its own panel, and I got a chance, as you probably heard last week, um, I got a chance to interview David uh, Steinberg yes. about really their extraordinary growth. I mean, they have become the dominant digital uh, distributor yeah. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. marketplace they're a huge, I mean, of our time. They've become essential because they do offer... The Naruto's and the they offer pieces. everything. They have they started, America. With America. Eight, they started with eighty comics in, in two thousand nine and eight publishers, not including Marvel or DC. They now have I don't know how many publishers and over thirty thousand digital yeah. comics, and they add three hundred well, comics yeah. every week. There's no question that Comicsology is a huge player in today's comic scene. Um, and the, but the seven hundred free Marvel number ones was a, a, a download. It was too far. It was too much yeah. for but everyone. Now, Calvin, uh, yes. I think we we covered a lot of South by Southwest on sure. our last podcast, but I. Since then, there's been a lot of talk about whether uh, South by might become the new Comic Con, you know, and, or, I mean, or replace it in the hearts of. Yeah, well, well that, what was the experience that's not like? going to happen. But but I but there there are some interesting parallels between uh, South by and, and San Diego. And uh, now let's be for real. The, um, there, I think over the course of the entire uh, South by festival, and that's three festivals: music, interactive, and film. There may be sixty thousand people. I think there are about twenty thousand plus just at interactive. So we're not talking Comic-Con here. Yeah, you're talking a trade show. Really. Yeah, it's a trade show. Now, there are other parallels. Yes, huge marketing and corporations are moving it, including movie and some Hollywood people, are using it as a gigantic marketing and promotional-like holiday, much as San Diego has come, is. Uh, it's freaking impossible to get a hotel 
after, if you're anywhere within two or three months of the actual date, you've really got to get out in front of it to get hotel reservations. Though it's still a little bit better than San Diego, it's that's where it's headed, without a doubt. Um, that said, you know, I mean, it's not... It's not. I don't find it that overwhelming. Uh, this year, Publishers Weekly skipped the hotel situation entirely. We had three editors down there. We actually rented a house not far from the convention center. Long walk, but it was workable. That's better than a shuttle that breaks down or never comes. The so. year before, I was in that position. I was yeah. in a shuttle on the outskirts of the city trying to get to a hotel uh, in the middle of bad weather and missing shuttles, scene. and it was a bad scene. This year, we had a little rain. It wasn't a problem. We were able to get back and forth to our house. Um, but, you know, we are facing problems where some panels, uh, more panels than I ever remember before, were overloaded and people were turned away. Often, huge a huge number were turned away. I don't know whether they just mis- made a mistake on assigning people to certain halls, uh, but never I'd never been turned away from so many uh, panels in my life. So this is, I, I, think, I think South By will be a kind of alternative... Uh, some place you can you can go to and do much of the same kind of marketing to the same demographic uh, at a much cheaper. Right. I'm sure, sure Austin is cheaper than San Diego, um, even at the height of South by Southwest. And, and really, San Diego may benefit from it because people have always complained that it's, it's absolutely clogged with everyone trying to get all their movie stuff done at once, and mm. maybe splitting the forces in the marketing dollars might. You know, I think the big studios will do both. I, yeah, I can't. I cannot see them passing up San Diego I, I just to do South. They'll do both of them. They'll do both, and you think they'll do both the same fever pitch? They'll do both. Yeah, I, I, that's what I think. I Even think. last year, I recall they were there was huge marketing for the um, the Sarah Palin uh, miniseries on was it on HBO? I believe mm. I forget what it's called. Yeah. I don't remember if it was something like that happened this year, but I'm sure it probably was. Yeah, well, because I think there was Game of Thrones they were doing there. Maybe yeah, yeah. Because that. there definitely was there were TV shows and some films. There there was a bus riding around with you know oh, this was last year with very pretty girls on it, enticing you to come on and get free drinks. Um, I had was on my way to a shuttle, so I, so I passed it up. Like but uh, but in fact, there's a lot of very pretty girls walking mm-hmm. around and giving you know trinkets and stuff away from, um, from all kinds of media. Apparently, at this year's South by Southwest, there were Game of Thrones, Sword Throne, throne pedicabs. Yes. Yeah, yes, and the throne was which there, they, which they have at a Comic Con. They've had that yeah. last year also, yeah. so they've been but, seen uh, all over the place. Frankly, Game of Thrones has so much buzz that all they need to do is like have a poster up somewhere, and there would be right. Yeah, craziness. Exactly. Okay. Uh, and one last thing. Yes, we're going to talk a little bit about them. Uh, a very interesting panel. Just here that we saw, we were all last there last night. Last night, we were all there. Yes, we all did a yes. real life something. It was yes. sort of fun. Yeah. Without even coordinating ahead of time, yeah. we all decided that we had to be at, surely you're joking, Mr. Wortham, um, the first of several comics events being held at the Soho Digital Gallery. Yes. And uh, Carol Tilly, the author who we have discussed in the past as having discovered uh, new revelations about uh, problems in the research of Dr. Frederick Wortham, was there as one of the panel guests. And look, it was a lively panel, uh, rambunctious, yes, one word, crazy, one word, uh, yeah. uh, never boring. Uh, I mean, well, I, I, you know, Calvin, you're skirting over the issue. I mean, yeah. basically, you had a panel here. That had several experts, like it had David Haydu, who wrote the Ten Cent Plague, the book mm. about the comic book scares of the 40s and 50s. Um, Professor Tilly, 
Uh, it had um, uh, Craig as Yeo. Uh, it had a Sharon psychologist, Packer, Sharon Packer, 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 who writes on comics and Denny O'Neill, the famous writer, yes. mm -hmm. and uh, uninvited to the panel, but in the audience. Oh, uh, was, yes, he uh, was. The guy who wrote of uh, the biography, uh, the official biography. Yes. Nobody, nobody actually caught the guy's name. I but one will never Ruben forget something him. Yeah, because like yeah. as soon as the moderator Danny Fingeroff started doing his slideshow of the panel, this guy started piping up, and like he showed a started with a startling image of Frederick Wortham standing atop a horse, uh, riding a horse, standing up. And, of course, we were all like, what? Wortham rode horses? And the biographers, did you know where that photo was taken? It was taken at the Tulalonga Ranch of the <laughs> Bubble Bubble on the Bon Bon. You know, he was asked there by so-and-so, and he liked, you know, this. And so immediately, the whole thing was just cast into this audience versus the panel thing. So, yes. I mean, when you have an audience of know-it-alls, of course, it's a little bit natural. But um, I just felt like the, the panel was a little bit co-opted by uh, like the comments from the peanut gallery and I mean it certainly was lively a very very lively experience so. well what made it very interesting was that it actually seemed to end up sort of pro Wortham of all things and a panel full of comic people because what I kept hearing was people saying well gosh when I read about what he did to comics I thought he was a villain but then I heard that, like, he helped little children at a clinic and stuff, so I thought he couldn't be that bad of a guy, so maybe what he did wasn't so bad because he liked children. Well, you know, I and I'm like, no. Well, but you know what? That's kind of worth him 201, to be honest. I mean, it's yeah. like we all know that he wrote a book that was anti-comics, yes. okay? But we also, it's very well known that he was a psychologist who did defend the rights of children and was actually very yeah. anti-censorship and did all these really great things, you know, yeah. fled Nazi Germany. Uh, I mean, aside from, like, you know, slipping the shiv to the comics industry, I mean, he was a pretty yeah. good guy. And, and in fact, they came out much in the panels. Like, if you went down a list of, like, accomplishments that this man has done, I mean, almost... Everyone in the comics industry would probably say great stuff. He, he had a mental health clinic in Harlem for yeah. kids. He, he uh, only charged if you could pay. Uh, they called him Dr. Quarter because it only cost as, a quarter. As the biographer, as the biographer filled in the provision. Yes, but there, what there we was did, a squabble over exactly how hand, little he charged. Yeah, as yeah. David Haydu pointed out, I thought at the end most appropriately, that he didn't. He did not see that comics could ever rise to the level right, of art right. and, 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 and trash them at every turn. And as we find out, his his research actually was proved the opposite well, of what his so anyway so his I, rants were I was frustrated by the panel because I felt that the comments from the biographer who perhaps should have been on the panel instead of attending well, the clearly panel, he should but, have been uh, and I think he was because, for all intents and purposes but I think because he wasn't invited to be on the panel was attempting to be as disruptive as he could and I mean he definitely well was see I disagree with that yeah. I think that he was trying to defend his subject and yeah. I, it's hard can you, I mean I can't blame a a, a, a writer for doing yes. that well then and I, he had useful things okay. to say but I don't think they ever really dealt with this dichotomy in Wortham's life. And that's why I, I don't feel that they explained or, or explored, really, what we're saying. Like, he was a great guy who did this shitty thing. I mean, well, I think that's part of the... I mean, part of what this panel, I think, at the end of the day, is that, that this guy was hard to understand. He was a complex person who really... We don't have any answers about it at this point. Well, we didn't left find here. Him at that panel. Well, yeah, well, we did. The panel didn't come out, but I think we learned. I, I certainly learned a great deal about him, and and I actually thought the panel was effective 
And it, it definitely was not boring. Now no. you could no, make, it, yes, was it was boring. not boring. No, 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 anyway. no, 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 no. Um, and you know, Kate has a recording of it, so perhaps we'll upload. Maybe, that I, maybe we'll be able yeah. To um, at the time, the uh, gentleman who was running the panel uh, ahead of time was asked by someone else, not me, whether recordings would be okay, and he said it would be fine. But um, we'll yeah. have to get uh, authorization to upload that. But if we get it, we will. But certainly one of the more annoying uh, points that came out in the panel was Correggio, who's a, you know, a fine publisher uh, and researcher in, in the comics history, uh, but uh, he's, he set himself up as an apologist for, for Wortham in the most extreme way. Uh, he, you know, he, Which is he ironic seemed, because he actually was you know, very much for the, the freedom of comics to be comics. Yeah, but, but, he, but he seemed that you know, the fact that he, he, he fudged his research, that he, he distorted the results of it, didn't seem to bother Craig at all. He just yeah. said, oh, yeah, he's just, you know, just trying to sell a book. Who, I mean, but, he said, who among us haven't done this exact same thing? And, and more, really what I found interesting was the access to Wortham's papers in the Library of Congress, yes, that was very which, was deni- which had been denied to all the people on the panel. Only the biographer was able to get access to the panel. But, no, but wasn't but Tilly, didn't Tilly have access Tilly to Tilly got partial access to the panel. She got there more was, access she got, than the others. She got more than, than David Hayden or, uh, or, in fact, or Craig Yo got, and they were hot. And I thought that was an interesting part. We had Hayden and Craig Yo all virtually yelling at the, the biographer about how did you get access. Well, we know how they got access because I write about book publishing. Just a second. I write about book publishing. Authorized biographers will always get president. Right. By the estate over other writers and getting access to materials, but the the biographer didn't want to talk about that that much and kept sidestepping responding to the issue. Yeah, but, but here's know, what made this interesting: it, these archives were not in a private library. These archives were at the library of Congress. Public library. And so it's very interesting that the family had that level well, of control. The reason why they did, and this is understandable, is they did not want people publicizing the psychiatric records of yeah, the juvenile that was a, patients yes. of Dr. Wortham. But however, as uh, as Tilly said, she had signed this, you know, a waiver, or she had signed a document that said she would not publicize the the psychiatric records. And I mean, that is understandable. But I mean, these, understandable. these kids who were just kids in the fifties, so they're they're you Absolutely. know they're they're true. You know. But here's here's another thing: is that she said that a lot of things were covered under that restriction, which did not contain Absolutely. sensitive yes. data. Absolutely. There were a lot of, yes. of issues very important access papers to in there yes. that there they should have had access to as public yeah. because they were and not the sensitive at all kept sidestepping that issue and saying, well, the lawyers and how the bequest was structured by the lawyer, you have to talk with the lawyer. But really, I thought he was being disingenuous because he was an authorized biographer to do the book. They gave him access because well, that yeah. who they want to I have think, access to the I book. Think, I think what we, uh, what we all came mm. away with from this panel was that even 50, more than 50 yes. years later, this is still a pretty controversial topic. And uh, you know, There are a lot of very strong feelings. In this panel, feelings. I felt like everyone was going to go home and write an article uh, with the subtext that everyone else on the panel was wrong. Yeah. Well, or, or do a podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so anyway, there's more to come on, yes. on Dr. Frederick. <laughs> and and furthermore, uh, we may uh, get an interview with uh, Professor Tilly. Uh, she has promised us one. We'll see if we can't schedule it in somewhere yes. and put it on our podcast. There we go. Right, so stay tuned. All uh, right. There's more to come. Oh, oh there's more to come. Better.